There's a man who lives beside me who fought in World War II. He proudly waves old glory from high upon his roof. He starts out every morning like it's Independence Day. I've seen him at attention salute the flag and say I love this land. From sea to shining sea, I love this land, home of the brave and free. I love the liberty, the justice, and the truth on which we stand, one nation under God. I love this land. All across this country, in big cities, little towns, while mama's getting ready, dad pulls the car around. They join the congregation to sing amazing grace. They're free to worship Jesus 
and they are free to pray. I love this land from sea to shining sea. I love this land all of the brave and free. I love the liberty, the justice, and the truth on which we stand. One nation under God. I love this land. God bless America. remain standing for the pledge to the Christian flag and to the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for his kingdom it stands. One Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. I pledge allegiance to the Bible God's holy word, I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, hiding its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Please remain standing for the retiring of the colors. Just soon go watch the ball game now, wouldn't you? 
Boy, that's good. When those kids start pledging allegiance to the flag and to the Bible, it just does something to my heart. And I'm telling you, I, I think we need to get busy trying to build, as Dr. Jerry Fallon used to say, champions for Christ. We really do need to do that. Well, I, I'm, I don't even know where to go now since all that, all that happened, all right? If you have your Bibles, you can find your place with me today in the book of Genesis, chapter number 17. And according to the clock, I have uh, 25 minutes for kickoff, so I'll, I'll be expeditious in, in preaching today. And uh, that was a great song, I Love This Land. This morning, as you and I... get in our air-conditioned and heated automobiles and make our way to a place of worship with a little tiny, tiny crescent of land about the size of Rhode Island where children walk the streets with fear. Moms and dads do not know if their neighbor is going to use a vehicle as a instrument of death. IEDs explode almost every day. They walk in fear of their neighbor. It's Israel versus the Palestinians. Muslims versus the Jews. And Jews versus everyone in the eastern lands that we know of as the Holy Land. Imagine if you would please been a part of the crowd when an oncoming van driven by a terrorist, the descendants of a wild man, hits the crowd at record speed and knocks people into eternity. Innocent people. They walk the street with fear. We walk the street today with all the peace that our nation and our government and our police forces will keep us safe. We are blessed beyond measure all of those liberties and all of those freedoms today were bought with a tremendous price. Men and women like those who came to our platform a while ago have walked the sandy beaches, the dark jungles, and the cold of Korea so that you and I might carry our Bibles to a pulpit and preach what God has laid on our heart. To visit in our shopping centers, to use our credit cards, to live way beyond our means and enjoy much more than we deserve. All because, humanly speaking, these patriots these folks who did not burn their draft cards and head to Canada 
or use a religion to exempt them from service to our country. God bless you patriots and you, you veterans. Well, last week we talked a little bit out of chapter number 16 of the book of Genesis. And as we begin our study today in the book of Genesis chapter 17, 13 years have expired in the life of Abraham. 13 years God has been as silent as a nine-day clock on the tenth day. God has had no communication with Abraham, and Abraham has had no communication with God. God has promised Abraham a land, a people, but all of a sudden God has hushed his voice and has not spoken to the man of faith. Thirteen years ago, Abraham took matters into his own hands. Took them out of God's hand and said, I'm going to help God a little bit, and I'm going to go into this Egyptian handmaid of ours, and I'm going to help God provide an heir to Abraham. Out of God's will he was, operated in the flesh he did, did his own thing because he could not wait on God. And because of that, God hushed heaven for 13 years, 13 years of doing his own thing, 13 years of going his own way. Thirteen years of serving God in the flesh and not in the spirit. Thirteen years of doing it his own way. Thirteen years of being out of touch with God all because thirteen years ago he said I'll do it like I want to do it. Thirteen years of serving God, going to church, praying, reading his Bible in the flesh. Thirteen years ago, he could have had a child. But he's not 86 no more. He's 99. Verse 1, chapter 17. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Lord Almighty God. I am the Almighty God. I am just not God. I am the Almighty God. Elohim in the Hebrew means Creator God. And in the beginning was the Word, Elohim, Jesus, Creator, Almighty God. 
Verse 1 of the book of Genesis, in the beginning God, Elohim, the triune creator God, created everything out of nothing. He stepped on the ledge of nothing and spoke, and matter did occur. You said, I don't believe that. That makes no matter. God still did it. Elohim God. Here, the contemporary Christian song, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. Abraham, I promise you, 13 years ago, no, I promised you when you were 75 in chapter 12, I promised you that you would have a son. And that son would have a seed that exceeded the multitude of the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Age 75, I told you. 86 years of age, I reaffirmed it. Now, since you're 99 and can't do it yourself, I'm going to do it. For you. See, as long as Abraham could do it, God got no credit for it. At 75 in Genesis 12, Abraham could have had a son. <laughs> he wasn't over the hill yet. Now, the hill is different ages for some of us. At 86, Abraham could still have a son. Shall you know that? His name is Ishmael. But at 99, if this thing happens, it can't be of man. Because Abraham could no longer father a child. You say, wait till I'm 99. I'll show that's wrong. Hey, you ain't even made 99 yet, let alone produce a child. And some of you folks, uh, some of you men, don't raise your hand now. I don't need to talk to your wife. Let's go on. I am... The Almighty God. Not only the Creator God, but the All Sufficient. All the strength you need. What you can't do, watch me and I'll do it through you and for you. For I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. Thy name shall be Abraham, 
For a father of many nations have I made thee, ninety-nine years old. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful at ninety-nine. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan. Could I have that first map? Please, the making of a wild man. There before you in the red line is the promised land that God told Abraham, I would give thee for an everlasting covenant. It encompasses Egypt to the south, much of Saudi Arabia, a lot of Iraq, almost all of Syria. No wonder the Arabs don't like the Jews. That little tiny bit up there just east of Israel, that little purple-colored spot about the size of Rhode Island is what they're fighting over right now. Now that's Israel. But all of that belongs to Israel according to God. See, the wild man inhabits all the rest. Ishmael's descendants have all the rest. What's the big deal? What in the world makes that little tiny crescent of a nation that became a nation in 1948, what makes that the pivotal point of all foreign relationships. Not a country in the world forms a national foreign policy without taking in consideration that little small crescent place there called Israel. I will make thee an everlasting covenant. Verse 8, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their 
What's the big deal about Israel? Verse 17, And Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. <laughs> At 99, you're going to do this? And said in his heart, Shall a child be born of him that is a hundred years old? Abraham knew himself. And shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? Then he tries to help God out again. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, who is ninety, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. All of that inside that border belongs to Isaac. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. All of those peoples. Some twenty plus states all around Israel is an Arab inhabited land. What in the world is going on? What's the big idea, God? of just choosing one man, one nation. What's the big idea? That don't look to me like it's politically correct. What about the doctrine of inclusivism? Why would God who does he think he is? Singling out one man and leaving all the rest outside of the covenant and the promises of God. Don't look like it's fair to me. Why should... God be so divisive. Why didn't he include all the rest, such as Ishmael, Esau? Why were they not included? That is not to me our 21st century political correctness. That might be racial profiling. Just the Jew? Why? 
God, I'm not, I'm not allowed to do that. We could prosecute God for that. And find him guilty in any court in the land. Especially if it's run by liberal judges such as we have today. We've been so brainwashed and so 21st centuryized that we can't have one single thought without we correct, check it out with political correctness. Could I speak to you until the ball game starts? On God's political incorrect promise to Abraham? Oh, we could talk about the covenant of God if you'd like. We could talk about a fresh revelation of God if you please. After 13 years, surely, after 13 years of dry, after 13 years of dead, after 13 years of silence, after 13 years... Surely, Abraham needed a fresh revelation of God. And God appeared unto him and said, I am almighty God. I don't need your help to produce a child. If you don't believe me, just ask Joseph and Mary. They said, how in the world can this happen that a virgin conceived, God said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now you put her down, Israel's going to have all that land. Why? God said it. Well, what about Egypt? What about Egypt? What about Saudi Arabia? What about it? God's not after oil. God's not after anything they got. God just sovereignly chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on and on and on. And thank God you and I have become a part of that promise. Notice, if you would, please, there's four things about this. And I'd like to, I'd like to just help you a little bit along with the history if you want to. But uh, in uh, Israel inhabited uh, the land of Canaan about 450 a B a BC, A.D., A.D., B.C. When Nehemiah and Ezra left Babylon over and crossed the the Arabian Desert, and went back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple, I would say it was approximately 450 B.C. And Israel dwelt in that land until 70 A.D. when Titus and the Romans came in, destroyed the temple, and absolutely destroyed the land. From 70 A.D. to 1948, the Palestinians and other Arabs inhabited the land. They were not a nation. They were not a sovereign nation. They just inhabited the land. 
The Zionist movement began earlier in that century, and Jews began to go back home. And they left and went back home from where God had scattered them throughout the world. Britain or England was in control of all the Holy Land. The Palestinians and the Jews were so radical that they fought continually. Just like America trying to buy peace over there, Britain decided there's no way you can keep those brothers from fighting each other. So they pulled out and gave the Jews all of Israel, which was occupied by Palestinians and Jews and other Arabs. When they pulled out, Israel in 1948 declared themselves a sovereign nation, and America was the first one to recognize them as a sovereign nation. They had bits and pieces of that land. Could I have the second map, please? Ain't this nice? See that? Ain't JT good? To the left, you will notice, from 1948 and up to 1967, Israel had all the land there that's in the grayish color. 1967, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, all of those countries were threatened to invade Israel. So Israel decided to invade first with a smaller force and a smaller army in six days. The map on the left, the dark, is what Israel took from the Arabs. The Sinai Peninsula, down at the bottom, the Egypt Peninsula, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and the Gaza Strip. All of those you hear and are talked about each night on the television and in your news. Another bomb blew up in the West Bank. The West Bank is over here where Jerusalem is. That was occupied by Palestinians until 1967. And 1967, the Jews invaded Egypt and Jordan and Syria all at the same time. And in six days, they defeated those mighty forces of the Arabs. Could I put a footnote, please, with the help of God? Today you hear in the news much about the West Bank. You hear much about the Golan Heights. You might even hear about the Gaza Strip. But for Egypt to recognize Israel as a sovereign nation, Israel gave all of the Sinai back to Egypt, moving all their armaments and all their villages 
and everything out, and today Egypt has now the Egyptian Peninsula. Why would God be so politically incorrect why would God give all of that to that bunch of Jews this offensive God has made a offensive covenant with a very offensive people Israel. I just hope and pray that somebody gets in the White House soon that will once again love God's people. Our only true ally in the Middle East. We don't need to be Howling up with Iran. We don't need to run down to Egypt to get some horses that we might defeat the enemy. We serve the Almighty God. And the Almighty God serves us. An offensive agreement. An offensive, if you please, promise an offensive covenant. Why? Because of its exclusive nature. Notice, if you would, in verse 7, the Bible says that this covenant, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generation for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Looks to me like it's kind of exclusive because it excludes Ishmael and it excludes Esau. It excludes Absolutely anybody that's not the seed of Isaac. And you're not supposed to exclude anybody today. Don't give them a test. Just look at them and say you all passed. If you don't do that, you'll be excluding somebody from the parade that's going to happen over a stage now, they may not be able to read or write. They may be able to play football well. But they can't take a driver's examination. And it's not because of eyesight. But we can't exclude anybody. Don't have competition. That puts folks in categories of winners and losers. And let's just make everybody losers. That's inclusiveness. And the reason the covenant that God made with Abraham is so atrocious and so ugly and so damnable 
is because it excludes some folk. And the reason they're fighting over there is because God excluded everybody but Israel out of that land. Now they want to land because of the oil. And when Israel gave back the Egyptian peninsula, Israel gave back their most productive oil production. Gave it back. Pressure by this wonderful government we serve under. You know the one that has Obamacare, who really don't care. You're welcome. You say, how'd you vote? Uh, did we have an election? I think the folks in the Senate think we did. I've got about as much confidence in the good Republicans as I had in the Democrats. Thank God he's running the show and not me. What do you mean, amen? I'd make a good runner. You just excluded me from running. I hurt, bless your heart. I'm just so sick because God has made a very detestable, political incorrect covenant with a bunch of people called the Jew. And he said to them, I'm going to give it to you and your seed. Politically incorrect because of its exclusiveness. But I'm so glad that God included me. Well, who are the descendants of Abraham anyhow? According to the Muslims, the heir is Ishmael. According to the Jews, the heir is Isaac. According to the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 17 and verse 6, it says to a bunch of folk, and I'm glad of that. Look at verse 6. And I will make thee an everlasting fruitful, and I will make uh, nations of thee, and kings shall come from thee. I am so glad that there's just going to be a lot of people, a lot of seeds, According to the New Testament, people of faith are a part of the covenant. Now, if you read Galatians chapter 3, you'll find out that those who live by faith are the children of Abraham. And if you're children of Abraham, according to verse 24, I think it is, you are an heir to that covenant. I remembered... Dr. Falwell, in a debate against an agnostic or an atheist, and on the television they asked him, now, Dr. Falwell, do you, do you actually believe that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ? Dr. Falwell, are you saying that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ? Dr. Falwell said, no, I am not saying that. The Bible is saying that. 
that's an exclusive, excluding folk. And in the day we live, there's this plan and that plan and your plan and my plan and everybody else's plan. But let me share this with you. There's only one plan, and that's Jesus' plan. And if you don't go his way, you ain't going. You say, well, I get there my way, you get there your way. That is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. Everybody's got to have a map. Everybody's got to have a way. It's the Jesus way. God in his in, absolutely indecisiveness, in his political incorrectness, excludes by nature. I'm going to be quiet and close. But this covenant and this promise is most misunderstood because of its perpetual nature. God said it would be an everlasting covenant. Now, we have a hard time to get a hold of everlasting because we're not over everlasting. If you don't believe that, just look at the back of your hand. If it's changed and in the last 10 years... You are not everlasting. And anybody who lives an entire life for this stuff, uh, this stuff, I've got a hanky keep from here to here to keep the blood off of my white shirt because I was working yesterday. I know you think that's not true. You don't think the preacher can do anything except chew people out. And blood was running down my arm. I went in my house. My wife fainted. So I went down to the dog pen to have the dogs lick my, lick my sores like the Bible says. Uh, some of that might be kind of... We can't get into everlasting hardly. Because we think in time. Our thinking don't get very much farther than tomorrow's fishing trip or next week's hunting engagement or next week's business appointment, but we kind of short of everlasting. But we have a God, now listen to me very carefully while I close, we have an everlasting it is absolutely unreal. The psalmist said in Psalms 19, verse 2, a beautiful verse, and only can be as beautiful as it is in the old English language, laid down for us to hear before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever thou hast formed the earth, in the world. Even from everlasting thou art God. And everything he does is everlasting. In his nature he is everlasting. In his being he is everlasting. There was nothing before him and there will be nothing after him 
He is before all things and shall be after all things. In his being, he is everlasting. In his ability, he is everlasting. In his word, he's everlasting. In his will, he's everlasting. And in his power, he is everlasting. So why should it be a big thing? For his promise to you and I be anything short of everlasting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have, somebody finish it for me, have everlasting life. And for those by faith who are trusted in Christ, he said, and give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Uh, you know why everybody's puffed up at the Jew? Because they're living in an everlasting promise and covenant of God, which excluded everybody that was not of the lineage of Abraham. And that is their land. And that's what the fight's over. That's why today on the news you'll go home and you'll see, as sure as the world, another bomb blew up in Israel. And some innocent Jews went out into eternity to spend heaven or hell, a place they'll spend in either of them. That's why tomorrow you pick up your newspaper there'll be a picture of Jerusalem or Israel and somebody else has attacked them. This conflict did not begin in the 20th century but it's got its roots in chapter 16 and chapter 17 of the book of Genesis. Because God said to Hagar, you will have a son, and his name will be Ishmael, and he will be a wild man. You could get in trouble for saying that today. But God said it. And I don't think he's too afraid of Washington or Fort Worth or Austin. And what's so comical in our closing, what is so humorous about this? In that little strip, Israel, the population equals that of Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, and San Antonio. And that's what's making all the headlines. And I just don't think God is fair for leaving everybody out except Abraham and his seed. I'll just jump over and I'll close. 
This is a very controversial covenant because of its relational nature. Now let me help you and I'll close. Judaism and Christianity was never begun to be a religion but a relationship. It's the Pharisees among us and the Pharisees at the temple that poisoned Judaism and Christianity. It's the do-gooders, the better than everybody else. Look at me. That's turned Christianity into a religion. God never want a religion. In the Garden of Eden, God was looking for a relationship and fellowship, and he created Adam. And in his goodness and his grace, he looked at Adam and said, there's something missing in that guy. It must be a woman. I've questioned God a lot on that day till it's time to eat and get my socks washed and be treated like a king. And God chose a man because he didn't create Adam because he wanted to be a dictator or a celestial policeman. He created Adam to fellowship and to have a relationship with Adam. Adam fell. And God says, oh, I'll just go down there and pay sin's debt. I'll go down there and die on a cross so that we might have a relationship. And to as many as receive he, Jesus, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Can anybody say amen? It's a controversial promise because it is a relational promise. We should not worry too much about denomination. We should be worrying about a relationship. And to as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. The Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. They that cometh to God must believe that he is. That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's get in the covenant now. The Bible said in the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached unto Abraham the gospel saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now I'm going to do something silly. You say, how come? Because I can. Now Doug Turner is a mess. (laughs) Brother Doug, don't even look like a Jew. 
But God ain't looking at how he looks. God loves him anyhow. He says he got some hang-ups. A few. Brother Billy here, he has no hang-ups. Until I talked to Mary and I found out <laughs> he needed a Savior. I could talk about Terry Hayes, but I'm not going to because I'd have to talk about things that you don't want to talk about. <laughs> By faith, he's blessed with faithful Abraham. That's what it says. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Amen. That we might receive the promise. An eternal promise. An eternal covenant made by God for us. Not dependent on what we do or what we don't do but on what God can do and what God will do. And it's not dependent on my faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. You mean to tell me, preacher, if you don't believe in Christ, you're going to hell? You've got that right. It's kind of exclusive, don't you think? You mean to say, if I'm not a Baptist, I'm not going to heaven? No, no. About half of them are going to hell. Hmm? You say, how you know that? By their fruit you shall know them. But I'm so glad that this old country boy, 40-some years ago, moved inside the eternal covenant of God by faith, and I got saved. Amen. Now, I'm not going to live in the Holy Land. I'm going to live in the new Jerusalem provided by a covenant-keeping, eternal, everlasting God. All of God's people said, you say, preacher, how do I get under that covenant? By faith. How do I get in the blessing of Abraham? By accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. What else does that entail? A relationship with an eternal creator, almighty God. I don't need a priest to go to God. I don't need a booth to get in. I can go to God anytime now through Jesus Christ 